Well, in this series, we've been asking a fundamental question. It's the question of why. Why does Mount Airy exist? Why are we in this community? And we've been talking about what our mission is for the last few weeks. I want to see if you remember our mission statement. I hope that you've learned it by now. I'm going to start it and you finish the sentence. We exist to help others. There you go. We exist to help others become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so we've been asking the question, well, what does that look like? What does it look like? Practically speaking, how can our church help you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus? And so we said there are four things that we want to focus on as a church family. The, The words to summarize these four things are gather, connect, serve, and go. So we talked in the very first message about gather. We asked the question, why do we gather? And we recognized, or as we looked at the Scripture, we saw that the very first believers, first Christians in the New Testament church, they gathered for worship on a regular basis. They, they gathered to pray. They gathered for fellowship. They gathered to be instructed. And, and I told you that they gathered before they, they started going. That gathering precedes going. And I reminded you that Christians are like a coal of a fire. They cease to glow when they become separated from the group. So we need to stay around God's people because you need one another. We need one another. And then we asked the question last Sunday, well, why do we connect? And we told you last Sunday that life change happens within the context of a small group. That that's where it happens the most. That spiritual growth is so much more than information transfer. It's so much more than me just getting up here and telling you a bunch of stuff. Spiritual growth is not just information transfer. There's a relational component to spiritual growth. That's why it's not enough just to gather, but you also need a small group of people who, do, who will do life with you. That's why a church must grow larger and grow smaller at the same time, and that's not a contradiction. As the church grows larger, there needs to be more and more of those small groups where they're doing life together. And when a church grows larger and smaller at the same time, it feels like home, regardless of the size of the church. So today, the, the question we're asking is this one, why serve? I mean, it's a very good question when you think about it. Why is serving part of the discipleship process? How is serving related to my spiritual growth? Here's the thing I want you to understand. Too often we have compartmentalized our view of discipleship. We see discipleship as an activity that we pursue apart from normal life. Discipleship in our minds too often is when I go to church, when I gather And when I connect, and those are important components of discipleship, no doubt about that. But listen, if your spiritual growth doesn't show up in the way that you relate to others, and the way that you do your business, and the way that you treat your schoolmates and your family, if it doesn't show up there, your your discipleship, your spiritual growth isn't worth much. See, discipleship doesn't occur in a vacuum. It has to be lived out in everyday life. So it's not enough just to gather on Sunday mornings in our holy huddles. It's not enough just to gather in a, or connect in a small group. We also have to live out our faith. One of the main ways that we live out our faith in everyday life is by serving others. You see, the way that you demonstrate that you really are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the way that we know that it's not just talk, It's when you're actually serving others in the name of Jesus. It's actually when you're living the way He lived. 
He served others and he met people's needs and he shared God's love. And when you're a devoted follower of Jesus, doesn't it make sense you'll be doing what he did? So, so serving is an important component of your discipleship journey. It's interesting, when you start reading the New Testament, how the writers of the New Testament grabbed this concept, how they understood this idea. In fact, when you read their letters, they often identified themselves as servants. In fact, when they started the letter, they often started the letter by telling you who they are. And they didn't say, Keith, pastor of Mount Airy Baptist Church. They didn't have, in fact, let me just show you what they said. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look how Paul begins this letter. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans is the book right after Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Then Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul identifies himself this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Look in James, way over to the right, go near the end of the New Testament, not at the end, but towards the end, after the book of Hebrews, James chapter 1. Uh, look how he begins his letter. James, by the way, was the brother of Jesus. The author of this letter, we believe, was probably the brother of Jesus. And look how he describes himself as he begins his letter. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go on over to the right and you'll come to the book of 1 Peter. Go past that one and go to the letter of 2 Peter. Peter, of course, is one of the apostles. He was one of the original followers of Jesus. I want you to notice how he described himself. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And then finally, go on over to the right one, a few more pages and you'll find the, the letter of Jude. It's right before Revelation. We believe that Jude was the brother of Jesus. The Greek word would be uh, a form of Judas. And we believe that he was probably a brother of Jesus. And look how he begins his letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James. In so many places in, throughout the New Testament, you'll see that again and again. People identifying themselves not by simply going to a gathering and not just connecting in a small group, but, but men who were dedicated to the task of serving, living out their faith. And they were so dedicated to it that they identified themselves as a servant of God. See, here's what I want you to know today. If you are not living as a servant, then you're not living as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the other night I was helping with the dishes. I, I don't do that a lot, but occasionally I do. And you need to know something about me, and I've shared this with a few people before, but Lisa has a nickname for me, and it's W-O. W-O stands for wide open. She says, whenever you do something, you just kind of always wide open. And so she calls me W-O. Well, the other night, I was washing dishes, and, and she was, I don't remember where she was, but, she, but anyway, I was there at the kitchen, I was at the sink, and man, I just, I, you know, that dawn, you know, my theory is, if a little is good, a lot is better. It just makes sense to me. And so I had this big old pot kind of a thing, this deep dish I was trying to scrub, and I had the brush, and I'm just going at it, and I'm just, I'm just doing this, and I'm, I'm just trying my best to get off. And Lisa walks into the kitchen. She said, W.O., you got enough soap in that thing? And I turned around, and there were soap bubbles flying all over the kitchen. 
It wasn't there. Yeah. See, I want you to know something. It's evident when I'm doing dishes. I'm going to ask you a question. When people walk into your life, when they walk into your kitchen, when they walk into your living room, when they just walk into your business, when they walk into wherever you are, is it evident that you are a follower and a servant of Jesus Christ? It ought to be, shouldn't it? It ought to be evident that you're a servant of Jesus Christ. You see, this is the place in the, in the discipleship process where we, where we probably struggle the most. In fact, those four words, gather, connect, serve, and go, the one that you probably are going to get hung up on is serve. You know why? Because it's not, it's not popular in today's world. The, in, in today's world, we define greatness in terms of power and possession and prestige and position. And if you can demand service from others, you have arrived. If you have people who serve you, you have arrived. In our me-first culture, acting like a servant, living like a servant, is not a very popular concept. In fact, I challenge you to go to Barnes & Noble sometime and just look for how many books are written about serving. Very, very few. It's not going to sell books. It's not a popular topic. Now, one of the things that I've learned as a pastor is this. People don't mind being called a servant. They just don't want to have to live like one. They don't mind being called a servant. They just don't want to be treated like one. But if what what I told you... I'm sorry, let me try it again. But what if I told you Jesus defined his life as a servant? What if I told you Jesus measured greatness not in terms of status, but in terms of service? What if God determines your greatness, not in terms of how many people serve you, but how many people you serve? I want you to notice something with me. It's in John chapter 13. This whole concept of serving is so contrary to the world's ideas, so contrary to the world's idea of greatness. We have a hard time understanding it. We have a hard time practicing it. We have a hard time putting our hands around it. And Jesus knew that we would struggle with this. And so he gave us an example that we would never forget. You can find the story in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I will give you the context while you're turning to Let me give you the context of this passage of Scripture. In the first 12 chapters of John, the first 12 chapters cover three years of our Lord's earthly ministry. The last nine chapters cover one night. Something must... Something important must have happened on that one night. If the first 12 chapters cover his first three years of earthly ministry and the next nine chapters cover one night, what happened on that one night that was so significant? Well, let's look and see. John chapter 13, verse 1. This is the new section in John. We're transitioning from his public ministry to his private ministry And in these first 12 chapters, it covers his public ministry with the crowds. Beginning in chapter 13, it's his private ministry with his disciples. And here's what we read, chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. His hour had come. The time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. You see, this was the night before his crucifixion. And on this night, we read in the very next verse, that on this last night with his followers, Judas had already decided to betray Jesus. Look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Judas had already decided what he was going to do on this, there at this last night. And not only that, but his disciples also would fearfully desert him this night. Also, this was his last night before he would die as a sacrifice the next day. And so here's what I want to suggest to you. If there was ever a night where he deserved to be served, it was this night there was ever a night where he could kind of take a break, if there was ever a night where he could kind of back off, if there was ever a night where he could kind of say, I need somebody to do something for me, if there was ever a night where he could say, a man of my position shouldn't have to do this, it would have been this night. Yet on this night, Jesus did something that a slave would normally do. You see, it was customary in that day when somebody came to your house to wash their feet. And the reason it was customary is because they didn't have nice paved side uh, roads or sidewalks. Uh, they walked on dirty streets with sandals and, and just dirt streets. And so by the time they got to someone's house, their feet were covered in dust and dirt. So it was kind of a, a common courtesy to have a slave there who would wash the feet and the sandals of those people who came to, to their home. In that context, at this last meal with his disciples, that last evening there were no slaves there to perform that task. And so on this last night, let me tell you what happened. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. Talk about position. Talk about authority. Talk about titles. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, as, as amazing as that is, that the one who, was, who came from God and was about to go back to God on that last night before all of this began to take place, as amazing as it is that, that he'd get up and wash their feet, there's another factor that you need to know about first. You see, on this same night, on this very night, the disciples had been arguing. In this very room, the disciples had been arguing. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22. Put your finger in John 13. We'll come back there. Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. 
They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Stop right there. Jesus tells them, listen, somebody here is going to betray me. And so they start that night in that very room, they start discussing which one it is. You know, they probably started pointing to one another. It's probably him. It's probably Peter. It's probably, and in that context, as they started pointing to one another, talking with each other about who do you think he was talking about? Who do you think he meant is going to betray him? Look what happened next in verse uh, 24. Also, not only were they talking about who would betray him, verse 24, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, I don't know exactly how this came about, but my theory is this. They started talking about who would be the betrayer, who would betray him, and, and it's, somebody got offended and said, are you serious? You think I would betray him? Dude, I'm like the best one in the group. You, you think I'm going to betray? I, I'm like the greatest. I mean, do you remember the assignment he gave me back there a few weeks ago? And somebody else said, are you crazy? Don't you remember he called me his favorite? Well, you're not his favorite. And they just started this. They just started arguing about who was the greatest. Probably started out about who's the betrayal. And it quickly led to, no, I'm the best. I'm not going to betray him. I'm like the most important guy in the whole group. And as they're arguing about this, about who's the greatest, they sat there with proud hearts and dirty feet. And suddenly, they hear water splashing in a basin. One by one, Jesus took their dirty feet in his holy hands and he washed them. One by one, he took the water and he washed the feet of his disciples and even the feet of Judas, who would betray him that night. Can't you just see them sitting there in intense silence, faces burning red with embarrassment, water splashing, that's the only sound you hear in the room, is the water splashing in the basin. When he washed the feet of the last disciple, Jesus finally spoke. It's back in John 13, verse 12. He finally speaks. Here's what it says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Probably looking around at one another like, what do we say? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. Capital T, capital L, you call me teacher and Lord. You, you, you know my position and you're right. I am teacher, I am Lord. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus taught the disciples and us that true greatness is not about where you sit, 
It's about who you serve. It's not about your title. It's about your willingness to get down and to serve someone. And don't miss the lesson in verse 17, because it all leads up to verse 17. This is the lesson that he wants us all to get. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do what? If you do them. You see, the Lord understood there's always a disconnect between what we know and what we do. There's always a disconnect. Listen, I know a whole lot more of the Bible than I'm doing. Right? You probably could say that too. There's a disconnect between what we know and what we do. And Jesus' silent sermon was a call to action. He said, guys, I don't want you to just remember this. I don't want you to just remember this lesson. I want you to do it. I don't want you to just remember this sermon. I want you to live it. I don't want you to just remember that I washed your feet. I want you to go out and wash somebody else's feet. I don't want you to just remember this talk on, on serving. I want you to serve. In fact, I'll tell you this, guys. You'll be blessed if you do. Isn't that interesting? You know what he was saying when he said, you'll be blessed if you do them? You know what he was saying? When you help others, you help yourself. You'll be blessed. It's not just about helping somebody. You will be blessed. It's not just that you're going to meet somebody else's need. Yes, you're going to bless them, but when you help others... You help yourself. See, the quickest way to improve your life might just be to improve somebody else's life. Maybe the reason that that you're so discontent right now is because you're so self-centered. Maybe the reason that you're so unhappy is because you're trying to make yourself happy. Maybe the reason that, that you have no peace is because you're so focused on you. Jesus said you'll be blessed... If you start focusing on others. Instead of just trying to meet your needs, you try to meet the needs of others. Instead of trying to get people to serve you, you decide to serve others. Best way to change your life might be to try to change somebody else's. And so, before I close, I want you to go to Mark chapter 10. Because I want you to see how the Lord described himself. Mark chapter 10. And I'll tell you how how this passage is related to what we just looked at. You see, that last night was not the only time that the disciples had, had argued about who was greatest. It was not the first time, I should say, they had argued about who was greatest. In Mark chapter 10, there was another time when the disciples, probably about a week before John 13, a week before that last night, about a week prior to that, the disciples were... Let's just say they were discussing it again. They, they were actually arguing again over who, or, or for the first time, about who was greatest. And, and we're not going to have time to look at it, but I'll just give you the context. In Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 35, James and John have this idea that if Jesus is leaving, when he gets to where he's going, we want to be part of his posse. When he gets up there to heaven, we want to sit with him, one on the right, one on the left. And before somebody else thinks about it, let's go talk to him about it. Now, once the rest of the people heard what James and John were trying to do, well, well it just didn't go well. They, they just, it just kind of broke loose. And so it says in verse 41... Mark 10, verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John 
And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who regard as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must also be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then notice verse 45, how Jesus refers to himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You must never forget that when the God of the universe became a man, he came in the form of a servant. And don't ever let it slide past. I mean, it really is a staggering thought that out of all the attributes that God could have chosen, he chose to reveal himself as a servant. A fully devoted follower of Jesus will therefore go and do what he did. So let me give you three benefits real quick. I'm just going to list them. Three benefits of serving. Number one, here's how it will benefit your life. First, or maybe you should say three reasons to serve. Here's how it will help you. First of all, we serve God best when we serve others. We serve God best when we serve others. Reason number two you ought to serve is this. Doing good works opens the door for sharing good news. When you're helping someone, it opens the door to tell them about the God who loves them. Our disaster relief team does this all the time. They go out and they'll cut a, a tree off of somebody's house and it's free of charge. They don't, they don't expect anything in return. And then the people say, well, why would you do something like that? Why would you come from another state and cut this tree off of our house? And doing that good work, serving that person, no strings attached, opens the door to sharing good news. So doing good works opens the door to sharing good news. The third reason to, sh- to serve is this. When you, help, when you help others, it really does help you. When you help others, it really does help you. Serving is simply this. It is meeting a need and sharing God's love. Meeting a need, sharing God's love. I want to show you a video of a family in our church who, who understands the value of serving. And they've, they've found a place to do that. Now, I want to I say, you don't have to serve God just in the church. It's not that you, this is the only place you can serve the Lord. We would love you to serve the Lord here, but there's, you can also serve the Lord outside the walls of the church. In fact, we want you to do that. Service is not something just restricted to Sunday. It's a seven-day-a-week opportunity. But we do have a, a video of a testimony of one of our families and, and how they serve the Lord by serving others. Let's watch this. So we have been at Mount Airy Baptist Church now for uh, going on 10 years. And our first service experience, it actually happened the very first day that we came to visit Mount Airy Baptist Church. We were a part, uh, or we came to visit the BSF class, uh, Rob Merritt's class, and that Sunday morning they were taking volunteers because they were going to be serving the church that night at a uh, at dinner after the church. Um, and so they were just asking for volunteers to help bring stuff or help serve. And um, so we just raised our hands and we decided to help serve the church. And so we came back that night and uh, we served. I think too we get more from it 
than just coming to be fed. We don't expect that. So knowing that we're a part of his family and that we're, um, we've built relationships and this is our family. You know, I don't live near my family, so my church family is, is what I've got um, along with Daniel's family. But um, that's just kind of where our gift is in serving. Uh, we wanted to get to know these students more and so we opened up our house on Friday nights after the football games. We call it Friday night at the Freemans and we just wanted to have a safe place for these students to come after uh, the football game. Uh, if they wanted to come, if they didn't, so we just said alright our house is open up and, and we didn't know if they were going to show up or not and uh, about 11 o'clock or later they just start showing up and um, they hang out for an hour, hour and a half um, and they go home. And so it's great just to see them interact with each other. Uh, we interact with them, um, but we just hang out at the house uh, and, and have a great time with it. You know, when you die, there's something you want to hear if you're a Christian. You know what it is? You want to hear your Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful. Say it with me. Servant. Isn't it interesting that that's what we're aiming for? Not well done, thou good and faithful church member. Well done, thou good and faithful Christian. Well done, thou good and faithful whatever. But the thing we're hoping to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, serving is part of your discipleship journey. Serving is something, it's not what you do, it's who you are. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to listen to this scripture as I close. With your heads bowed. Eyes closed. I want you to hear the scripture. It's found in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Taking the very nature of a servant. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The reason that you have hope today if you are a Christian is because Jesus Christ did not come to flaunt his position, but he came to live as a servant. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to know what He did for you. Serving, I told you, is meeting needs and sharing God's love. He came to take on human flesh. He left the glories of heaven. He left His position. He left the prominent place that He had. He left the glories of heaven to take on human flesh and to serve and to meet your needs by going to the cross to die for your sins. You see, 
you were born a sinner and you also have chosen to sin throughout your life. And because of the sin in your life, it separates you from a holy God. And the only way that you can have a relationship with a holy God is when you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your sacrifice for your sin. Believing that He died on the cross in your place for your sin. And when you place your faith in that, accept it by faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. If you've never trusted Christ today as your Savior, I invite you to do that. I invite you to trust the one who gave himself for you. For those of you who are Christians, when you serve others instead of yourself, you glorify your God, you live like your Savior, and you invest in something that has eternal value. See, a servant... It's not a title. It's a lifestyle. Help us, Father, to live for you, to serve you, and to serve others. And may Jesus Christ be honored and glorified. I pray that in his name. Amen.